everybody welcome to the zero hour podcast where we help you and your ministries navigate the biggest youth ministry shift in american history i'm Corey mclevin i'm here with my dude my guy josh jackaway what's up On this episode, we're going to discuss gospel saturation and like everything that that has to do with your youth ministries, what that looks like in your city, in your context, um, and all of the details of what real saturation could be, right? Uh, So, and if you like what you hear on this show, we would love to connect with you further. So please, please, please tap the description in the show notes to find all of our links for Zero Hour Ministries or just reach out via email, whatever. We love youth pastors. We love students. We want to connect at any level uh, in any way. So yeah, man, we're uh, rolling. We're kind of, you know, we kind of hit reset a little bit. Yeah, that's an exciting new season here. Yep. So, and uh, we officially kicked out Storm and oh, Dylan. Poor, poor Storm. Yeah, but no, 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 no. They'll come back on featured stuff, but Josh Jackaway is going to be running with us moving forward, uh, fully integrated with the Zero Hour team, and we even changed the name. Yeah, yeah. So we just kind of had a leaning towards, we loved the title Youth Ministry Shift, and uh, that's still the heartbeat mm-hmm. of yeah, what we're trying absolutely. to discuss. But we wanted to tie things to the overarching kind of ministry that we both are involved in and Mm -hmm. doing around students, which is zero-hour ministries. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of the update of where we've been. There's been a hiatus for a little bit. Uh, I also had a baby, so that had a lot to do with it, Uh, who is four months old Baby Luca, cute little guy. Yeah, little Luca. and Yeah, so we're excited to be back and hopefully being able to kind of get some more um, consistency with putting out podcast episodes and connecting with people through this avenue. So yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun journey together. Yeah. Why don't we open, man? And just uh, how about you kind of give us an intro to definition, a working definition, or why we're even discussing gospel saturation? Yeah, this was a term that I first heard maybe about two years ago, um, but I first felt the angst of it probably a few years prior to that. At the time, I was working in a, in a student ministry where we had uh, several different high schools that we were drawing students from, and collectively between those four high schools, there was about 10,000 students that were in them. And I had this kind of like angst in my gut, like... Um, like we could never reach all of those students and not mm-hmm. like in a sense of that God couldn't do something like that, but just in the practicalities in terms of the number of volunteers that you would need, the number of uh, chairs you would need in an auditorium, all of the, all of that kind of sense. Um, and so I kind of started to feel this, this wrestling in my gut, like, oh, this isn't about one singular church. And then a couple of years ago, like I said, I heard this term gospel saturation. I was like, oh, this is that angst that mm-hmm. I felt. And gospel saturation right. being this idea that every man, woman, and child would have you know, repeated opportunities to see and hear and experience and respond to the good news of Jesus. Yep. And thinking through that lens of 
that's what I was feeling in my gut was I had this desire to want to see those 10,000 students right. see and hear and experience and right. respond to the good news of Jesus. I just was feeling this powerlessness like, oh, we as a singular church could never fully accomplish that. Yeah, that's amazing because I think oftentimes it's so hard to feel like you can get your head above water mm-hmm. as a youth pastor to even see that reality, Yeah, you know, or it's like most of the time, and I always say this with youth pastors and those working with, around youth is like, you're asked to do the most amount of stuff for yeah. the least amount of money yep. <laughs> like in yeah. the church context. And so you play like 50 hats, you know, yeah. and you're always, and you're always trying to recruit uh, for leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it feels like you're, spinning a lot of plates and not, I mean, I know so many other roles within church contexts. You have a lot of things to do as well and not to diminish those. I just, there is like this pressing reality of you're, you're pulling off a lot. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And those, and the people who are saying yes to being on that journey, sometimes what you're asking them to do is more than any other volunteer in any other role would, would be saying yes to. It's far more when you're asking someone to invest consistently in the life of a student. Yep. You're asking them to be available when their parents get into a fight, when they're mm. worried about what's going to happen with SAT scores, uh, when they go through a bad breakup, right? When when you're serving on the team holding a door you know, twice a month for, for people walking in and out of the church, that's a completely different level of, of involvement. So it is oh. easy, like when you're living in that <laughs> world, to just be kind of like, man, we don't have enough volunteers, we, you know, yeah, yeah to, to not even have the space to stop and think. And that's, I think, the hope of this podcast is that we can drop in some pieces here and there that hopefully for uh, student pastors or uh, church leaders or ministry volunteers who are out there who are in the trenches to hear something that um, you might honestly like feel this angst in your spirit, but not have always the bandwidth or the margin in your brain, the white space to be able to stop and reflect on what's the underlying piece of that. And so hopefully what we're doing is mm-hmm. is triggering some thoughts that you go, oh, yeah, I felt that, but I hadn't thought that fully, mm-hmm. you know, the consequences of that. So hopefully this does feel like yeah. it's a gift at times for, for those of you who are listening. Totally. And like, I think it, it, a gift and like an encouragement Absolutely. to say like, it is okay yeah. to step away. Like even if it's a short... Um, you know, a, a retreat of mm-hmm. sorts, like a solo silent retreat as a youth yep. pastor. Like I can't recommend those enough that the reality is, is if you are willing to stop and listen and yep. ask, what do you want? You know, what would it take? And what do you want God to see all the students yep. in my area? You know, and whatever that looks like geographically, um, you know, there, you can go a lot of detailed ways with that. Um, but I think, you're going to have to let God speak that into your heart and into the ministries you're involved in. Yeah. Um, I know with us in zero hour, we kind of, you know, we're here in Kansas city. And so, you know, we were originally just kind of thinking through, okay, we really want high schools. And we just, we started kind of felt like drilling down some hyper focused details. Mm. And so as we started to kind of look at the realities of how Kansas city is, there's a bunch of, you know, surrounding counties and within like a 30 mile radius for whatever reason was on my mind. Um, and so I just kind of dropped a pin and I started counting up the high schools within that area. And there's give or take a number. I don't, I, this isn't exact, but I counted up around 88 high schools. Mm. Uh, and, and so like when we try to define gospel saturation within zero hour, we're trying to go, okay, 
what are the real tangible things we can drill into? So our, our desire is to see a student-led gospel expression at every single one of those high schools. So that's Come 88 on. high yeah. schools in the 30-mile radius. And then to train up 176 disciple-making students every year. Mm-hmm. And so it's like those two have to go hand in hand. And, and we're first and foremost trying to be a training agency for those 176. Mm-hmm. And we believe that on the back end, that reality of the gospel-led communities will come out of the harvest. We're not trying yeah. to plant those first, right? And and then hopefully get others to join. We're, we're the other way. We're training and then sending. Yeah, they're like the, you know, I think of it as a as a bicycle. You know, it's like the two pedals and they have mm-hmm. to be kind of be working in tandem for you yep. to get that that wheel to be moving, you know, as yeah, efficiently as possible. Yeah. So just I give you the example of that concept of gospel saturation, but I've, you know, I literally just got off a call with our we're in the micro church hub launch cohort through Stadia. Um, and we were just talking through the vision stuff of mm-hmm. like, how are you defining gospel saturation within your context? And it was cool because on our little breakout room, we have uh, four other teams. Yeah. I think yeah. it's four other teams. And it's just cool how people um, contextualize things differently. Like one of the crews from Thomasville, Georgia, which is a tiny little spot, um, they were, you know, his pitch was phenomenal in just uh, that elevator pitch of gospel saturation, which was. Uh, he very well articulated like this big, big, strong desire for unity mm. within what they're doing. And the thing about this guy was like, I believe it because it felt like him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I yeah. think, I think that's a key piece when we talk, talk through gospel saturation that it's, it's not, it's not your, uh, imitating or mimicking right. what somebody else has said because yeah. you heard, Oh, they have a big vision. I'll just do that in my context. Yep. And that's not what we're referring to. Right. What we're referring to is like a real divine connection between you and God and understanding the context you exist in and why God has called you there and then what it would actually look like to have a ginormous movement of God around mm-hmm. students or whatever your ministry context is in order to apply that with yourself. And I think that context piece is so huge because I think that wherever you're at, God has placed you there for a reason. And so helping discern by his spirit what is the role that you're supposed to play for gospel saturation in that context Mm -hmm. that if you're in a a place you know we're in kansas city so it's a major metro area so it's natural that if you looked at a 30 mile radius there'd be 88 schools but i wouldn't want somebody to copy and paste that if they're in a small town area and be like well i've got to stretch this so that there's 88 schools you know there's parts of of the you know more rural parts of the united states where that might take up, you know, um, the the better part of the state, you know, for them to get to, to 88 schools. <laughs> so the, you're, you're totally right, Corey. There's something about saying, God, what have you called me here to do? Hmm. And then what does it look like for this to be fully realized in this environment for us to see, you know, every boy and girl, every one of these students uh, have repeated opportunities to respond to the good news of Jesus. Hmm. That's good, man. I think other things that kind of come to the surface for me when I think through the saturation piece is like what, you know, can you dream and envision what it would look like if that was realized? Mm-hmm. Like what What yeah. are the details, you know, especially around students? And I just, I think through the things like no more suicide. Yes. Yeah. Having those like <clears throat> tangible pieces. Yeah. Yeah. What are some more of those? I mean, it's it's always. I mean, I think students were all familiar with the the depression, suicide, yes. anxiety. But I think also you see, um, if that were to happen, if that were to be actualized, that you would see uh, the familial homes completely shift. Mm-hmm. Because I think 
nothing speaks more to the power of Jesus and the gospel than when a student from a non-believing household like gets on fire for mm-hmm. Jesus and goes back into their home yeah. uh, and shares or is just a, a radically different person mm-hmm. and that the parents begin to notice and that thing spreads. You know, mm-hmm. I know like in the Middle East, that's like very, very true currently with the way the gospel is spreading is it's going through teenage students yeah, and then the, the entire home gets saved. You know, you read mm-hmm. that a ton yeah. in, in the New Testament where it's like such and such uh, like gets healed or radically changed and goes back and the entire household begins to be followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think there's something powerful when you can start to see that in the homes and you even have an example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That... We have a micro church that meets in a family's home in, in Prairie Village, you know, suburb here in Kansas City. And uh, through that, you know, one of the, the boys who lived down the street, probably four houses away, started coming. That is his church. You know, if you were to ask him, you know, his church experience, he'd be like, oh, it, it happens at this home on my street, you know, nice. on Sunday nights, right? And <laughs> through that, it's been incredibly transformative to his spiritual trajectory. Uh, and from that, it's overflowing into his his family. And so his mom now is starting to engage in a DBS um, similarly because she's seeing mm-hmm. this playing out in her in her child's life. And I think that exactly like naming those things that you just listed off is so crucial for us to know when we're winning, even when we're just seeing, you know, I like to think of them as, as like just little breadcrumbs. Like we remember the whole mm-hmm. story of like Hansel and Gretel getting <laughs> lost in the woods, right? And it was like the little breadcrumbs uh-huh. that helped them know like the, to keep coming on the path. And I think that- Not that path. That's, right. That's the yeah. path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but the reality is, is that we're living in a world in student ministry where it is a grind, right? Like mm-hmm. we're dealing with so much like heartache with students. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got all sorts of pieces at play, you know, just from everything that's been triggered through the pandemic and all of these kind of like deeper ills that start to come to the surface. And some mm-hmm. days it can feel like, what am I doing here? Like, am, am I even supposed to be doing this? And so being able to name those things that you just uh, talked about as being little breadcrumbs so that you know, man, I'm moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. God, you're at work here, even though this is hard, even though uh, this is a grind, even though the last two years especially has been a challenge for anyone in ministry, that you go, God, you are working and moving, and this is your little glimpse of the kingdom coming to life here and now. Yeah, man. Some of the other things I think it's it's not just the elimination of right. those things. It's also the um, the existence yes. of like good things. Uh, yeah, like I mean, you know, on we do these disciple making trips, which is a primary tool in which we're training students to live on mission. And um, at the end of each one of those nights, we just do it. It's called like examine and, and exhort. And mm. so we're spending time where we're just going, how do we examine the day? How do we examine the ways that God spoke to us? And then at the, you know, second part of that, the exhortation, we're like, okay, like living into this reality is, is seeing students actually seeing um, God in other people yes. and then naming that and having to look at them directly in the eye and, and say a word of encouragement. So we, we actually, we practice that on these trips and dude, it's like, that thing almost more than all the other things radically changes the way mm. some of these students perceive themselves. Yeah. You, know, you have like a seventh grade boy who comes on who's has no control of anything in his life, right? And it's yeah. just like uh, um, a complete whirlwind tornado um, and hilarious and, and so fun who barely would talk to anybody. And by the end of the trip had come completely out of his shell. And I mean, we even came home after the trip and his dad was like, what did you do? 
wow what is going on with this kid and so i think it's just the actualization also some mm -hmm. things to get birthed out of that so if you were to walk the halls of a high school you know there's one of them in your vicinity and you heard kids speaking words of life into other kids yeah that's a radically different reality like, than what, what is we, going on here literally i mean yeah. even even at the private christian schools right when i went to a private christian school for two years of my high school you know time and the the talk there was just as negative mm -hmm. if not worse in some ways than the public schools that i attended as well and so it's not reserved for just you know the heathen schools mm -hmm. you know like it, it is this reality where that would be a major shift in, in teenage culture if you started seeing that you know and i mean even in the social media world yeah like instead of um trolling or bullying via social media like actually speaking words of life and encouraging students who struggle with these things because we're all struggling um so i just I, you know i don't want to derail too far but like that is the reality of seeing gospel saturation like you said those breadcrumbs along the way yeah and i think even like if you were going to do that on your own one of the helpful ways that i've tried to leverage this is even through like the fruit of the spirit right mm. that you you know what is oh, the yeah. fruit of the spirit being here love and joy and peace and patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness goodness self-control and if you list those things off and then just even begin under each one of those just to be able to write out some attributes that would be true of students right hmm. so what would that love piece look like what would that yeah. joy piece look like what would that patience piece look like mm -hmm. there's some parents who right now would love to see their ch child uh, start to experience some of the fruit of the spirit of Come patience on, right yeah. and self-control and That's if right. we list out some stories of like what that would look like it starts to help us grab a picture of when god shows up and starts working in these ways you know uh, sometimes in, in my mind that I'm that I want it to be as dramatic as the Paul on the road to <laughs> you know Damascus deal mm -hmm. where it's like bright shining light and literally right. within a few days everything is transformed mm -hmm. most of the times it's it's not that dramatic it's these little bits and pieces and glimpses um, that we kind of stumble into and if yeah. we don't have a, a filter for understanding that mm. then we miss it when it's right in front of us yeah Man, that's good. I think about that's, I mean, part of the reason why we do discovery based, you know, or obedience based discipleship more than anything is like, I'm not asking, you know, I think we, when, when you, when you say that, or when ministries revolve around that reality, mm -hmm. they're thinking big steps of obedience. And sometimes like with, with students and kids, it's like, I'm going to be nicer to my sister. I'm going to clean my room. That was like, <laughs> that was like, like a, significant. Yeah. Which you, you hear, or maybe, maybe you don't, but I will hear some of that. And I'm like, really, that's the best that you totally. can come up. Yeah. I gave oh, you yeah. 30 seconds to sit there quietly and listen yeah. to the voice of Jesus. And the best that you came <laughs> up with was I will clean my room. Right. And, and it's really like God puts me in my place in those moments, because what it is, is that they've probably been told by their parent 25 times to clean their room. Uh -huh. So for them to do that is a huge totally. step of obedience, which in my mind is just like, well, of course you should do that because right. I've got kids right. and that's exactly what I should expect that they would do. Yeah. So as you're thinking through with other youth pastors or youth workers, like why is this such a valuable tool to think through? Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing is that Maybe we- Maybe it's not tool, but just- Yeah, yeah, I think it's a lens for us understanding, you know, that we're a part of something so much bigger. That mm -hmm. first and foremost, that um, we, we've got to have a lens that looks towards linking arms and trying to activate um, like other kingdom workers in our communities. Mm -hmm. That we can't, and, and this is the really hard part 
actually not if you're in a place that's struggling, but if you're in a place that's successful, is you can start to feel like mm. that you've got the merit badge of honor that we're the ones who are you know effective here, right? We're the ones who have all the answers. That when you're looking around at other right. student ministries and you realize you're the one who's leading the largest one in the room, the I do believe that we've got an enemy who wants to then warp that into thinking like, mm. oh, we're the only ones now who can fix the issue of brokenness, lostness in our community. Dude, These other so other pockets around here where they're only grabbing 15 students or 20 students or 10 students or, you know, 30 students on a single night. If they could just do what we're preaching. doing, yeah. right? If they had a better band, they had a better preacher, they ran this kind of curriculum. So all of a sudden we start trying to get others to do what we're doing when reality is is what if we started just looking about how do we activate all of those students that mm -hmm. within our communities to live as disciple makers in their context because mm -hmm. the issue of lostness is so much bigger than any one church and even mm -hmm. if you're gathering hundreds of students on a singular night mm -hmm. my guess is that that's really still just a fraction of the yeah. total students in your community. And so we have to be thinking bigger and thinking not through a lens of how do we get everyone to come to us, but how are we mobilizing people to go into the places where they're most naturally going to be? That mm -hmm. me as a, you know, as a guy in my 30s, I can't walk into a high school. Like, first of all, I won't get through the, the security team. But even mm -hmm. if I got in there, all the students would look at me like I was a, a weirdo. Like, they would clearly know, like, are you a teacher, you new teacher, mm -hmm. you sub, right? And yeah. so the gift inside every one of our student ministries, even the ones that seem like in your mind right now, like maybe they're the small ones, they've got 10 kids showing up. They've got 10 kids who every single day get to walk into a school where they have access oh. that you don't have. And so when we start thinking through the lens of gospel saturation, we start thinking through how do we um, really unleash every student to live to their fullest potential in every student ministry, regardless of their size or their capacity, because mm -hmm. it's not about how many can come to us. It's about how many can we mobilize here to go yeah. there. Yeah, no, that's so good. I think, you know, the piece you're talking about, like the varying church sizes and youth groups, um, and even parachurch ministries that originally were birthed out of this, like we're, we're trying to help those that maybe don't have the budget mm -hmm. or um, we can kind of exist outside of this. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of that has all become very divisive mm -hmm. and th threatening in a lot of ways. And I think, I mean, we can all step back and go like, that's clearly not of God, this mm -hmm. threatening divisiveness. Like, but yet we feel it, you know, I, I not pretend that we don't you know yeah. we we're we're trying to do things to continue to build what it is we're doing as opposed to the at large and i think that that is a major major shift when we think about actually seeing gospel saturation happen mm -hmm. is getting outside of the framework of what what's just directly underneath your yeah um control not control or just span of care whatever it is right and start looking around mm -hmm. at the other churches and finding simple, um, tangible ways that you can start training the students you have together. Because my guess is, is like, you know, let's say that you, know, you got like three churches of 10, mm -hmm. um, and then you've got one church of a hundred to 200 kids. Yeah. You know, like that's pretty normal. Yeah. I'd say probably Very in a common. geographical yeah. area, you know, if you were to just kind of zoom in on a little town or area, that's, that's kind of how it goes. But if there was some way to unify around it, um, 
specifically training of the students, mm-hmm. you know, and releasing them. And then the, the shepherding can obviously still happen within the confines of what you're doing. Yeah. But I think it, we have to start seeing that the, the guys with 10 and the guy with the 100 to 200 all hold different giftings. Mm-hmm. And it's so obvious that if they were to work together, that this true expression of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, yeah. teacher could be actualized. And it does seem pretty key in the New Testament that, um, you know, Peter and Paul don't become so divisive that it ruined Mm -hmm. the movement of things. Um, They were able to disagree. They were able to come to the table and have that conversation. I mean, it took some pretty big levels of of God coming in and and giving visions and and speaking through other people to really create this um, synergistic way of moving forward as a leadership team. But I just think about that, like how often you have, you know, maybe the few of the 10 size churches are Pentecostal or um, this one's more evangelical right wing or this one's a Baptist church over here. you know, whatever the denomination or the ways that they lead, it's like the the need to work together in order to train up to send out yeah. seems so much higher right now that, it, it you know, this gospel saturation concept should help you yeah. get to that level. Um, but that's why it starts individually first. Yes. So it's like each youth pastor needing to get yes, that have image their own and vision. Kind of piece. This is yes. what gospel saturation is for us. And then from there coming together and sharing, what could it look like if we did this? What would it look? And I'm not talking about the, um, you know, and I know I speak youth pastors language when I say another, um, you know, um, networking, meeting, right. gathering of youth pastors. It's just like, I think all of us are kind of like, man, come on. Like we, Although we love the other youth pastors and, and we might get along with, um, it does sometimes feel aimless, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think this is why we're starting here in this conversation because it's so paramount to us like working together, rowing together with our own unique giftings in our own unique contexts and still seeing this reality of unity, mm-hmm. accomplishing this big task. Let's just say it's four high schools in your area. Yeah. Well, you're going to need to get together with the others because if you're going to reach the entirety of those four high schools in the area, I I know we can all set aside our pride and say yep. that like that requires so much more than just myself. And coming to those meetings, like having an understanding that the reason for the meeting is about this bigger why, I think is crucial. Because yes. I've been a part of those uh, kind of like youth ministry network times where what it ends up being is either one, it's a great place for people sharing different game ideas or Mm -hmm. like sermon series ideas, or it's a place where they come just to kind of like vent of the pain of ministry and to be known in that. Mm. And there can be some like great spaces for that that can be helpful. But I would argue the best reason to kind of have youth ministers getting together would be around this idea of gospel saturation, is that you're naming a very real problem that everyone in that community faces. Uh Because the reality is the problem of where to find series or where to find games, that's that's something that you can actually figure out pretty easily through Facebook and other forums. Um, You don't need to get together for that. But the problem that you cannot just solve through social media um, and the problem that you can't solve by going through a counselor, which is maybe sometimes what is better served when you're dealing with some of the pain and hurt of ministry, mm-hmm. the problem you can't solve is that of gospel saturation in those other environments. Mm-hmm. You need to get 
others in the room who have that same passion and you've kind of helped define this is the direction that we all need to link arms together uh, to see this transformation happen in the students' lives here in our community. And the mm-hmm. reality is, is that every single day that there are students who are waking up, going through life completely devoid of any hope in God and, and any connection to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so like this is not a problem that we can keep kicking the can down the road on. This is an urgent problem that we should be thinking about now. Um, and it's so much bigger than what, you know, what's the best game that you've played in the last six months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, think like, you know, example wise for us with zero hour, like we have that level of desire. And I mean, we're still trying to work out the details of how that's going to look, mm-hmm. you know, like we are in the process. I mean, we have the desire to see all those gospel expressions exist. And even if it's not under our banner, whatever, dude. Yeah, it like, doesn't have to be under any yeah. anyone's banner. Uh, you know, and I think there is some death to that reality mm-hmm. that will have to happen. Like I was at the the send kind of pre-rally and Francis Chan mm-hmm. was teaching and, and actually, you know, he taught two different sessions. It was one towards kind of the senior pastors and the other the second one was towards youth pastors mm-hmm. and or just ministry leaders on the first one. And the youth pastor one, he tweaked kind of his message and mm-hmm. it was very much this like um, call to repentance mm-hmm. of trying to build your thing. Wow. Um, and it, it was pretty powerful. I mean, it just because I think everybody feels that at a deep level unintentionally, maybe some intentionally, but mostly unintentionally where it's like, I mean, I'm paid for this. This is what I do. And like, I'm trying to rally people around this and it doesn't seem harmful. But I think when you step outside of it and go, are you willing to say uh, at all costs that I want to see a movement in my city? Yeah. Irregardless of if I play a role in it or not. And to that point, if in doing so, it actually means that I lose some of what I've held to be the most valuable, yeah. right? Those those commodities that we hold the closest to can be number of our students, number of mm-hmm. our volunteers, mm-hmm. the size of our budget. And yep. sometimes for us to actually experience this, it may mean that we have to release volunteers because the best way for them to live mm. into this might be not under our kind of banner because they may... You know, that that may shift some things around for them. It may change the way that students are involved because they might lean into this in such a way that they say no to being in the worship band because they're Mm. prioritizing how they're making disciples within their own school. You know, and the the funds Mm -hmm. that you've previously allocated towards internal things, you might have to free up to to put towards external things, which Mm. means that some of the internal things you do aren't going to look at the same level they were beforehand. And so I think that's the piece where we always are saying, What's the cost of this? Yeah, What's yeah. the cost to me? And mm-hmm. and the reality is, is that everyone might want to say, hey, I'm in for this until we get to the pain point of what it starts to cost us. And I think <laughs> exactly. that's the piece where we do need to go in kind of with open eyes that if we're going to make this kind of focused um, mm-hmm. game plan is that we need to recognize, OK, there's going to be a cost. And I need to be okay with that. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, and I think particularly with youth pastors, like the struggle myself included is this like identity piece of popularity. Mm. I mean, it just is. I mean, yeah. it's just like speak truth that it's like we are, we are trying to, I mean, I think we all see ourselves as people who, um, love Jesus, passionate about Jesus, but there is this element, I mean, even just like the fashion push of youth pastors, and that's fine. It's not bad, wrong, inherently, or any of that. So I don't want to hear anybody (laughs) think that around what I'm saying, but I am like trying to also go like, are you willing to sacrifice your popularity of being the guy who started the movement Mm -hmm. and, and just go, I'm just, 
a cog in the wheel and I'm okay with that. Like if yep. anything, I'm celebrating that reality. Are you willing to be the guy who's just in the prayer closet mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, does their best to make disciples, but ultimately God is really tasked with this. I want you to dive deep into this prayer and fasting rhythm around students for the city. Mm-hmm. Like, are we willing to lay down those things in order to see this? Yeah. And like, you know, I know the, if, unless you don't know of movement stuff, but like wig take is what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Right. And, and this is like, a natural question that should flow out of gospel saturation looks like X, Y, and Z. The tangible fruit of that would look like this. And then now, what's it actually going to take in order to make that see, you yeah. know, in order to see that happen? And, and that that question, I think, poses two different, I mean, both a strategic question, but also like an interpersonal one mm-hmm. of like, what's it going to take around the way that I'm currently following Jesus or trying to make disciples? What's it going to take, you know, in, in terms of like how I lead, mm-hmm. uh, or, or if I'm ever seen, or if I don't teach anymore from a stage, yes. or if I don't play in the worship band or whatever that role is like, and I think that's why the, the question is so all encompassing of what's mm-hmm. it going to take. Uh, and that's intentional. And I, you know, so I, I just, I think it's that's key to always ask in terms of when you define gospel saturation in your context in your geographical area that you're also willing to go to that question of what's it going to take. Yep. And I you know, I think we don't always love the answers we may the answers get. Answers are painful, they're deeply revealing. Yeah. And I mean they have been for me. So yep. I I don't want this to be it feel like a shade thrown at anything because I, I have felt those things myself mm-hmm. where I did for sure. in that early season of launching zero hour stuff where it was like, who am I doing this for? Is this something that I want to be seen? Or is this a reality of like, now I genuinely want a movement around students to yeah. happen. And God pretty specifically called me into just going, then you better be way more connected to me than mm-hmm. you have been ever before. And that means sacrificing a lot of your mornings and a lot of your time spent in prayer. Yeah. And if we're not there, if I'm not there, then I would feel like I was pretty directly being disobedient to where God originally called me into mm-hmm. after I kind of felt like I understood this gospel saturation piece. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if you have any personal examples of yeah, where you I felt mean, like you've had to die to certain things or well, yeah, I mean, for, you know, I've been in, you know, kind of full-time ministry in, in some capacity for about 17 straight years now. Um, and this last year and a half is the longest stretch that I've went without teaching on a weekly basis. Mm. You know, that, that was so much a part of what mm-hmm. I previously did and got so much kind of validation around. Sure. Um, and so as we've kind of moved into this new model, like the piece, you know, exactly like what you just were, were talking about, the piece that's had to die inside of me is that that being a thing that I'm regularly mm-hmm. doing because my focus is around like what you just said. I'm praying now more than what I ever prayed previously when I was, yep. you know, speaking, you know, a hundred times a year between mm-hmm. our middle school and high school ministry. Um, I'm doing way like I can list off names of students and adults who I feel like I'm actively discipling in a way that I couldn't previously, mm. right? Um, and I feel like that my life has a margin for me to actually say yes to relationships in a way that I previously mm-hmm. Come on, that's a big one. Because of that. Yep. And so while it's come at some sort of like a small like 
ego rub for me to let that go. Mm-hmm. What I've seen God do on the other side of that is way worth that trade-off. But the I'll be honest, like it was a hard trade-off at first because I was like, oh, I don't know how to not spend <laughs> 15 to 20 hours preparing it. Yeah, what do I do with my time? Exactly. Yeah, literally. But then God shows you, you know, how you can fill that time with intentional relationships, mm-hmm. time spent in prayer, like yep. that you were just talking about, raising up others and teaching them how to pray in those kinds of mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And then just having the availability in your schedule. The previously my life was so full that if someone asked you know, hey, what are you doing right now? Or I need help an hour from now. Or do you have space to meet, you know, later this afternoon? I'd have had to say no because I didn't have that margin in my mm-hmm. life. Now I do. If if someone reaches out, I've got the ability to kind of flex and and do that to say yes to those mm-hmm. relationships over, you know, putting the time on. Yeah, and I think that's so important when you think through movemental concepts because every single person within it has to have that availability. Mm -hmm. You have to. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're not, then you're just going to keep creating these hierarchical systems that are dependent on the one individual and then those below them are supposed to do the praying and the discipling. Mm -hmm. And I just... That just doesn't seem to be Jesus's model and doesn't seem to be the New Testament's model either, that they would gather them all to the one singular person. I mean, mean, the upper room in the New Testament was clear, you know, where it was like, oh, my gosh, we need this so deeply and badly to actually catalyze what Mm -hmm. Jesus had called us into or equipped us for. Yeah. So I just I just go. um Every single person has to have that same realization of gospel saturation. That's why it's so important that if you are the youth pastor or the one who is shepherding or kind of the the vocal, the the focal vocal point. How about that <clears throat> of your context? Yeah, uh, that you 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 get this internally yourself, and that then that begins to spread rapidly to the others. And the beautiful thing is that it's like. You're not trying to get people to assimilate to your version of gospel saturation. Actually, you're just inviting them to implement gospel saturation in their own context. And it's so contagious because here's the thing is that when you start making those shifts and you start looking with that vision, it's contagious to other people on your staff team because they see the way that you're changing Mm -hmm. your priorities and how you're focusing your time. It's contagious to other student workers uh, who, you know, who may be involved in other churches, but they start Mm -hmm. to get a glimpse of like, oh, this is this is different. This is a, a fresh aroma. And so I think that there mm. is that piece that as we live into mm. that, when, when our heartbeat is like through that lens of like, how are we going to reach every student in our community? And you start making those shifts, other people around goes, huh, that's different. That's not what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. And so sometimes we'll get an opportunity to actually spread this. Not because we're knocking on doors, but because we start doing things differently and others take notice and they start asking questions. Absolutely, man. It is contagious. And it's cool because like when you get that, at least when you shift the mentality or you change that into gospel saturation, um, it's so much more fun to -hmm. tell people to dream that way too. Yeah. It's so much more fun (laughs) because you just go like, and they feel like almost like, can I do that? Yeah. Is that okay to do? And it's like, yeah. I want to see that happen. You know, like, tell me the dreams God's given you. Yeah. How can I make you uh, live into that? How can I help you live into that? How can we see that reality come true? Yeah. And it, it won't compete. Like, I'm, I'm here to just tell you, like, it's not, go- you won't see it as competition anymore. You will see it as benefiting the at-large body rowing in that same direction. Yeah. 
and it will free you up from that feeling of like control. Yeah. It will give you this like ability to be the biggest cheerleader in the room for everyone around you. And, and that's that, beautiful. That piece right there is so huge is that when we start to live into this, we start becoming for others in a way that we maybe previously hadn't. That you start cheering for the the student pastor who works a full-time 40-hour-a-week job, you know, in some other environment and is volunteer, volunteering his time as a student pastor mm-hmm. for those 10 children. You start cheerleading for him. Instead mm-hmm. of laughing at him or, or kind of snickering at kind of like the size of what he's doing or, you know, how maybe it's not as cool, hip or trendy or whatever, mm-hmm. like like that stuff gets right. really stupid yep. because it starts to pale into comparison. You start to go, man, Bob over there is doing an incredible work and I want Bob to be more successful. Mm-hmm. And when people get a sense that you are for them, man, you win friends. Like yep. you create a family dynamic that starts to come into play where, where people go, man, I can't believe that. Corey said that encouraging word to me, or mm-hmm. Josh sent me that text, or yep. I got that card in the mail. Th- those little things right now, when you genuinely become for others, like is what the kingdom of God's meant to be. Like yeah. this is where it shifts from being like, we're all a part of this like, you know, collective of churches to we're a part of a singular family. Yeah. And reminding me of a story, um, Phil Jackson's book, 11 Rings. Mm-hmm. Have you read that? Or do, you, uh, do you know much of Phil's story? I know I've read uh, his book, uh, uh, Winning Time or Sacred Time. Something. Okay, yeah, yeah. About, yeah. Read, so Eleven Rings is kind of like just the reality of how he got to where okay. he was. Soul of Success is what it's called. And um, dude, it's like the reality that as a coach, so he he was very much like it just lines up with that truth of he had. Yeah, I mean, he had Jordan and Kobe, right? Yeah, like, Shaq. Who gets that? I'm Shaq. Right? Yeah. Like, but at the same time, it was what he did with those guys that made the difference. Mm-hmm. And both of them had this same um, issue. I mean, eerily, almost the exact same issue that they were so deeply intense um, that they couldn't even think about the others around them mm. on their own team. And the only shift that, that Phil significantly made for those two guys like with kobe it's a good story he's like for the i don't remember how long but it was like the first year of coaching kobe he could not get him to come out of his room mm. um before after in between anything he wouldn't talk to people in practice he wouldn't talk to people during the games and he would just sit and go watch film by himself mm. and it, i mean he was like obsessed like deeply obsessed and it's like that's what you want right but at the same time what Phil shifted him into doing was going, I need you to know D fish, you know, like I need you to know Derek Fisher because he is a leader on this team and his role is as important as your role. Mm. And he did a really good job of helping both Jordan and Kobe get this recognition of the roles on the team are so valuable. And you think you're the only role. And if everything can just run through you, that you guys will win and succeed. And he helped both of them shift that focus and I, I just think that's a beautiful um, concept of how oftentimes in ministry as youth pastors, we run things. You know, I think maybe we see our senior pastors, our Phil Jackson, right? Yeah. Like, and we are the Kobe or Jordan. And we often uh, lose out on seeing the full potential of those around us. And, yeah. um, you know, I know Jordan's, Jordan was even more just vicious on the guys he didn't like yeah you know he was just savage on like um uh steve kerr yeah at one time they had they had it out in a practice where like jordan cusses him out hardcore 
and Steve Kerr like basically gives it back to him and Jordan's respect like went way up for him because he just saw this little white boy you know and was like just laid into him but it actually catapulted their relationship and and Jordan started to respect and see the role that Steve Kerr played on the team and I just go that that's gonna have to happen as we expand our focus and understand that God is calling us into so much more than what we're doing right now that that focus of getting to love and and see the important pieces around you as paramount like there's no way we're getting to this unless the right people at the right time for the right reasons come on board with this thing and that god fans this flame and i just start encouraging what i see in other people yeah and i think that to your point i think one of the things that's really interesting if you look at both of those uh basketball icons both with uh, Jordan and with Kobe is that in their later stages, they brought in these guys who uh, wouldn't have necessarily meshed. You've got both mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman, Rodman. Yeah. and Ron Artest, both yep. of these guys who are huge distractions off of the court. Yeah, um, Meta world but, peace, baby. Yeah, but but their dream and desire for winning was more important, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think mm-hmm. that, again, not that we want to just copy and paste yeah. kind of culture <laughs> of NBA basketball. But into still, this, there's so but many parallels here. There's yeah. a real parallel in that there are, and, and this is, I think, the, the thing that's true for all of us, is that there's there's a lot of other student pastors that come to mind that we're like, oh, yeah, I could work with them. But I think that if we're really honest, that there's always mm-hmm. a few mm-hmm. that in the back of our mm-hmm. mind, it's like, yep. I don't want to work with was. that person. Yep. That person, not him, God. And mm. I think that the thing is, is that we can't do that. We can't have this mindset yep. where we exclude a couple of people. We really have to think, how do we activate everyone? And when we can activate everyone and anyone, because the grace of God is bigger and his spirit is at work inside all of us, mm-hmm. then we're able to actually work towards winning, which is this piece of of every student having those opportunities mm-hmm. to see, hear, experience, and respond to the good news of Jesus. Yeah, man. That's exactly where my mind went to. It was just like it's it's all there you know yep. that reality that deep-seated reality of ah, i don't know if i can work with that group yeah <laughs> you know? or i don't know if i agree with that theological yeah. bent or statement um whatever it ends up mm-hmm. being that gets in between it like there just there's got to be the relationship in this this vision piece the overarching vision of the book of ephesians has yeah. got to be greater it mm-hmm. just has to be greater yeah. and i think if we we allow it to be that's when we're going to start to see some mm-hmm. movements in our in our context well let's land the plane there man yeah. it was good stuff um you know join us this next time we're gonna interview uh writer yeah, mills, mills yeah around this same conversation and just how he's seeing that in his context so we we hope to have on many of youth pastors youth workers others that are running in these types of uh lanes or maybe they're not you know and and they're just open to a conversation around it Mm -hmm. so thanks for joining us 